All righty. How's everybody doing? That's kind of a rhetorical question because you can't really answer it. But uh, welcome to the basement. Welcome to the show. November 1st, Monday. And I hope everybody had a great weekend. I know it was Halloween weekend. I had a pretty solid fall weekend this past weekend. Uh, caught a few movies. Pretty much just hung out. Ate some candy. Hung out with the wife. Yeah, I hope you all had a nice, safe Halloween weekend. Also, whatever you guys were doing. Hope it was kind of fun. And welcome back to listening to the show. October was wild. We were busting out a lot of episodes during the week, and uh, now we're kind of just back to the weekly thing, but um, I got some pretty great stuff lined up for you coming down the road, Uh, but I wanted to start this month off with just me here on here, because all month long we're doing something on the basement. We're trying to raise a little bit of money. Now, this... Uh, this episode is not an entire fucking sales pitch. Whatever the hell you guys want to do with helping out, you can. It's just for the month of November. But as you guys know, and anybody who knows me on a personal level knows I can grow a fucking beard. (laughs) I've been growing facial hair since like the eighth grade. I had a little mustache for, again, anybody who was at JFK Middle School back in Florence, Massachusetts. And you look through your yearbook, if it was like 2001, 2002, I'm pretty sure if you come across my photo, you can see me there, and I got a little bit of what we like to joke as a crustache. <laughs> it's just like peach fuzz, you know, that's all you really see, but that was like the birth of my facial hair. I can't believe I'm about to do an episode on my facial hair, but I promise I'm actually getting somewhere with this, so bear with me. Let's fast forward now to, I think, my junior year in high school. I can get some fucking sideburns going on, and I can somewhat grow a little bit of a goatee. Plus, anybody who knew me in high school knew I liked to rock a cowboy hat. <laughs> I am not going to reference any photos from that year right now, but I can say I sure as hell looked like a 17-year-old Tim McGraw. I mean that completely sarcastically. But yet again, here I was being able to grow some facial hair. At that time, people weren't really envious of it. I looked fucking stupid anyway. So let's fast forward again now to when I'm about 20 years old, and I can finally start to connect the patches on my face. Uh, You know, I I have friends to this day that, you know, like to talk about their shaving techniques, but they can't grow a beard. Sorry, no offense. You guys know who I'm talking about. Actually, nobody probably really knows who I'm talking about, but um, I'm not trying to bash anybody else's facial hair here. But... (laughs) Oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, So when I'm 20 years old, I can grow pretty much somewhat of a full beard. I can do that white trash little chin strap thing that guys had, and you know I can blend it in with my goatee and whatnot. And I'm 20 years old, and hey, I got a full beard. It works. It's awesome. People take notice of me. Finally, I you know am able to highlight my attributes. Again, as I say this, I feel like a huge narcissist, but I am getting somewhere with all of this. Pretty much the next 10 years. I kind of became the guy in my group of friends who could grow a full beard. I mean, I have some other friends who have some phenomenal facial hair who can grow that big, thick leprechaun, like chin, neck, beard thing going on because most of them are part Irish, but I'm not. So, but hey, it works. I think it's awesome. A few of my friends probably know who I'm referencing. Um, yeah, I just been able to kind of grow a full on fucking lumberjack beard. And, you know, sometimes I let it go, sometimes I don't. But for the longest time, when I would have a full beard, I would just get asked, hey, are you doing it for No no Shave November, November beard, or whatever it's called? And I didn't really know what it was. I, I just, like, 
and I found out there's actually like some charities and whatnot behind it to, you know, you know, to help with cancer research, cancer patients, and to kind of, you know, and even if you're not trying to raise any money, you're just kind of do it in show of support of cancer patients. And I also heard there's stuff that has to do with men's health and whatnot. And I don't know, I guess I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so I kind of, I attempted at this a few years ago and it kind of fell flat, but what are you going to do? I didn't lose or gain in anything. It's just certain charities never got any money out of me. <laughs> I remember I actually got some shirts printed and it was an idea of mine from two friends of mine from up in New York and they know who they are. I believe they periodically listen to the show. Uh, they showed up to a, a film screening event I had in Brooklyn and they were wearing these shirts that had a photo of me with like the messiest beard and it's actually a photo. I put it on Facebook one time. It was kind of a funny thing. And then, you know, a lot of people thought it was hilarious, but because it, it looks like a mugshot. It looks like I've been busted by the FBI and I have this scraggly beard and um, <laughs> I'm not smiling. And the actual photo of it is I was at the DMV uh, one day to get a new um, license. And I, cause I had lost mine and I needed it for something. So, and I had to leave what I was doing and go to the DMV, like drive. I was an hour and a half away. I had to drive back to the DMV, get a new photo. I was in a bad mood. So I wasn't smiling in the photo. And this is the photo I got. You'll probably see this actual thing on socials at some point this month. And so my, my two friends, they showed up wearing these plain white t-shirts with that photo on it. And I was like, huh. I think you're on to something. So later on that year, I decided to do like a little fundraiser thing where, you know, if you wanted to buy these shirts and I made my own, I made my own shirts. If you wanted to buy these shirts, I was raising money for, you know, no shave November and men's health and cancer research. And I, you know, set a profile up with a, on this, on this thing online and, you know, any money donated it, you know, I would pretty much sell you the shirt and, you know, whatever money gets kicked up to a certain charity. Well, nobody nobody donated, nobody got any shirts, but everybody thought the shirts were cool, so I don't really know what to do. I'm going to try again, I guess is what I'm kind of getting at. So I'm going to test the waters a little better this time. If anybody is interested in maybe purchasing a shirt or if this starts to generate some buzz for the said shirts, feel free to shoot me a message through Instagram and whatnot, through Tyler Geis's Basement Pod. There'll There'll be a link where I can provide the shirts for purchases and I'll just send all the sales up to the charity that I am using for the entire month of November for cancer research for No Shave November. I also have created a page for some donations. It is through youcanpreventcancer.org. Uh, there is a Tyler Geis's Basement podcast uh, page for it where you can, you know, send a donation to. I I have a goal of $1,000, you know, which is pretty achievable in 30 days. Uh, again, if anybody wants to make a donation, uh, you can, if not, you don't have to, but you know, Hey, you can share the page. I'll, I will leave a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And I will also probably have it a link in the bio on the Instagram page and I'll be promoting it, but I don't know. I just always, I don't, I, I don't know if this makes me sound full of myself or something or whatnot, but the fact that I've gotten so many compliments on my facial hair, which is doesn't go to my head at all. <laughs> I 
I, I promise it really doesn't go to my head at all, but it is pretty cool that I can grow a full beard. And I was like 22 years old and able to just grow this big beard. And I know there's millions of other dudes out there that can grow a full, that probably could grow a full beard at like 15 fucking years old props to them. And I know there's all these men beard grooming products. Um, if anybody wants to link up, talk to me about maybe doing some sponsorship things, doing some promotion things, feel free to contact me. And maybe in the month of November, we can cut a little episode or something. I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure something out. I, you know, this, I'm trying to make this more than just me blabbering on on a weekly basis or me just doing interviews with other filmmakers and whatnot. I think that's the goal, really, to just kind of expand, work with some charities I care for, some causes I care about. And here we are. And by the way, those who do donate to um, the page I have set up on youcanpreventcancer.org, Let's just say if you were to donate $10, I will match it with $5. You were to donate $30, I would match it with 15. I want to match up to I want to match up to 50% of whatever the donations that come in. I will yeah, I just want to, you know, get the ball rolling and see how much we can do in the month of November and just, I don't know, do some nice things. Cancer fucking sucks. I've had family members pass away from cancer. I've had family members who have survived cancer and are still thriving. And I know maybe there's some anxiety about that. So the fear of looking over your shoulder, if something like that's ever going to come back, I would hate to live like that. I just, cancer is a fucking pain in the ass. And I've, I've never dealt with it personally, but I've had friends, family members who have dealt with it. And so it's important to me. So again, that's just where we're at. You can check it out. It's just a simple page to make a donation. There's nothing over the top. You know, there's nothing crazy. I didn't make some video pleading with you to give me money. That's just all it is. And um, in the meantime, the month of November, I'm going to let this beard grow. <laughs> this beard has already been growing for a couple, eh, not even a couple weeks, probably like the entire month of October. It's been no shave October for me pretty much. So for November, I'm going to let it grow. I usually like to let it grow during the holiday months. I look like a lumberjack between November and December, even though I'm not living in a cold environment those time of years anymore. But hey. I also like drinking beer with a beard because then I get the t Never mind. I don't need to go into that. It's no shave November. I'm letting it grow. I'm going to try and think of a slogan here, but I'm letting it grow. So if you guys want to donate to that cause while I let it grow, please be my guest. It'd be awesome. And again, no pressure or anything. Now, with that all out of the way, without the journey of my facial hair leading up to a charity here for this podcast... Um, I had a bit of a scheduling hiccup, and we were supposed to record an episode with a guest. I, I always say we, but it's really just me. <laughs> but I was supposed to record an episode with a guest uh, this past week, and there was just some scheduling conflicts, and it happens all the time. And I was trying to kind of get it ready because there's a film that they're in dropping on VOD. Uh, I believe it dropped on Friday, so it's actually a film called... Uh, it's actually a film called Bigfoot Famous. I'm not going to say who I was supposed to interview, but there's, um, it's an indie comedy that you know touches on the Sasquatch uh, <laughs> subgenre, I guess you could say. Yeah, there was just you know just some hiccups, so I kind of was had to scramble and I couldn't really get anybody. So I put up a little thing online saying if anybody wants to ask me some questions, I know we did a mailbag episode a couple months back, and I thought maybe I'd 
probably make the other half of this episode, you know, me just doing some question and answers. And, you know, you guys sent in some questions. It was kind of last minute. I didn't get like billions of questions. So I got a few. Some I can tell were just kind of people dicking around, but hey, that happens. And But I got a few I kind of want to answer on the air. And uh, here goes nothing. Mike Rockstro from Coleraine, Massachusetts, my good buddy Mike, dropped me a question and said, what's the best movie you've seen this year? And that's an easy question because actually this year I haven't seen a lot. I've This year has been a busy year unlike last year when it was just a hectic year with nothing to do and I watched a ton of stuff. But this year has been a lot of other things going on in personal life and professional life that hopefully pays off, things that pay off hopefully in a couple years for me professionally too. Um, so I actually, I actually really haven't watched a lot. There's a lot of stuff I'd pop on at night just to help me kind of get tired and go to sleep. But it's funny you ask this, and it's fresh in my head. And I was thinking about it all weekend when you asked me, Mike. And it just so happens I saw last night in Soho today as I record this Sunday, October 31st. There, I gave it away when I recorded this episode. <laughs> I saw Last Night in Soho today. Just got back a couple hours ago. It's probably the best movie I've seen in the last two years. Hands down. I don't know what to compare it to past that, but it is just... And I I took a while to kind of get into Edgar Wright. Like, I'm a little behind in the times, and I'm, I'm not trying to knock him. Uh, he's phenomenal. He's a phenomenal filmmaker. He's one of the best... He's one of the directors that, honestly, when he has a movie out, I... I kind of will get up off my ass and go to the theater for, and, you know, especially with how theater going is these days, how it's touch and go with people. I said, I need to see this in the theater. I'm not waiting till it hits streaming because you can only see it in the theater. It's only playing in movie theaters. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't think there's any VOD release. Edgar Wright wants you to see this on the big screen and you should go see it on the big screen. The, this movie is a fucking spectacle. This is him firing on all cylinders as a filmmaker. I feel like he's had the script for this in his back pocket for a while when he had enough leverage where he could say, I want to do this movie. I could be wrong about that, but that just it kind of feels like that sometimes. It's like a, this is something he's really built up to as a director in his career. For anybody who wants to know the plot going in, if you're thinking about seeing this anytime soon, um, I'll just read off a synopsis here off of a little Google search. It's an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be. The dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. And yeah, it 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 really... The, the movie's about two hours long, and I want to say the first 30, 40 minutes, they... You can sense it's, you know, you can sense it's going to a dark place. But Edgar Wright, this is his first horror film. He's never made a horror movie. Well, you could argue Shaun of the Dead, but I know Shaun of the Dead is very humorous. I think that's why it took me a while to catch on to Edgar Wright. I saw Shaun of the Dead when it first came out. And I'll be honest, I didn't get it. I, I didn't really get it. And, you know, throw trash at me if you want. I just, I don't know, it didn't catch with me. And I, I ended up seeing it later on. I think it's when Hot Fuzz came out, I actually caught on and I, I, I got it. I got him. And then I think it was Scott Pilgrim versus the world that just pushed me over the edge. And I was like, this guy is a great fucking filmmaker. And, but last night in Soho is really kind of his first like full on horror movie. And it's been, it takes its time to get to where it's going. And first 30, 40 minutes, you kind of get the world you're going into. It's very modern London and, 
you know, it, he gives you time to know the main character and her aspirations and some of her backstory a little bit. And, but when it starts to go south, it goes, it goes really south and gets really scary, but very enjoyable, very of the times too, with the message that comes across to kind of be taken back production design wise to the swing in sixties in London is this is just beautiful production design, whether it's CGI or anything practical, uh, costume design too, just everything just flawless. I feel like he's been fleshing out this movie for years now, trying to get it right. So when he got a chance to make it, it is just perfect. And it really is. I, I, as I sit here and just reflect on it, like I said, it's only a few hours fresh in my brain. I can't think of anything that was wrong for me. I can't think of anything I didn't like. I just plot wise, it moved perfect. There was no characters in it that thought, and eh, that could have, they could have brought more to the table. No, nah, I just think everything hit its mark and it was just a perfect movie. And I, I want to watch it again. I want to like, as much as there's like a lot of really dark stuff that happens in the second half of the film, I want to just live in this movie. It just, everything about it is beautiful, even the dark, grim stuff. And it doesn't go over the top, you know. You feel like you're going to have a happy ending. And I'm not going to give away the ending at all. Um, but, you know, it has a very beautiful ending. And it has a, and in order to get to that beautiful ending, I feel like there's a lot of twists and turns that you go on that just take you on a roller coaster. It's a, it's a beautiful film. I'm not going to stop talking about it for a while. I'm going to talk about it to people that aren't even really into movies, just in case they want to tell me, hey, what's out do you like? I'll be like, dude, you got to see Last Night in Soho. So go see this on the big screen. It's how Edgar Wright wanted you to see it. I mean, guys like Edgar Wright, uh, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, uh, I don't know who else, but like... Those are the directors that, there's a few other directors I'm just not being able to name off the top of my head, but those are the guys, and, you know, maybe a few gals as well, that are able to get me up off my couch and go, I'm going to the theater to see this. So yeah, there it is. I hope I answered your question, Mike. Next question. Chris in New York writes to me, how you doing, Chris? That's not his question. That's me saying, how you doing? Um... What is your process when writing a screenplay? Do you outline it or do you just kind of go with it and see what happens? I think that's a good question. No, I haven't really gotten a lot of screenwriting questions on this show. And well, I mean, it's the only second time I've asked for viewer mail on this thing. Yeah, I actually, it really depends on the story. There, there's a screenplay I wrote back in like two years ago I wrote it it was like my first kind of attempt at really writing a full-on horror film and I had the idea in my head I'd been kind of you know putting it together in my head not really jotting anything down I, I there was some I'm not gonna say what it is the movie's never been made or sold or anything I mean a couple people passed on it but um I had the idea in my head for a while and I had been I'd kind of lived some of the themes in it and so I feel like it was going to be kind of easy for me to write. And that's obviously never a good mentality because nothing's really easy to write. And so one day I just flipped the laptop open and boom, I went to work. And it just kind of came out of me. And one scene led to another, led to another. I remember just having... Day it was probably one of the fastest screenplays I've ever written. 
And I just remember having days where I just kept going and going and going. And it ended up being about 95 pages in length. And I remember being hitting like page 60. And it was a perfect three-act structure, like 30 pages for each act. And I remember hitting like 60 pages and going, I already know what I want to put in the next 30 pages. And that happens to me from time to time. Sometimes I just have something, I, I know it inside and out. Yeah, do I write things down? Do I outline that? Um, yeah. Um, sometimes I don't even really write an outline. Sometimes I just, it just, it's like it's working out in my head or something. And I mean, of course, there's obviously rewrites. You go back and you work these things out and, you know, Something that worked six months ago doesn't really work. And honestly, I've kind of thought about opening that script back up and seeing maybe if I can write some different things into it or if maybe I need to rework it completely because I thought it was going to be like a really hot script at the time and it still has yet to go anywhere. But, you know, the race is long in that department. So to answer your question fully, it depends. It honestly depends on what I'm trying to write. I've had things, I have something that I haven't actually started typing up yet, and it's a miniseries, and I'm trying to, and obviously with a miniseries, I feel like you have to, even if you're the only one writing it, you have to treat that like you're in a writer's room. You have to sit there with a whiteboard, index cards, whatever, and map this sucker out because everything needs to be concrete everything needs to loop together and come together nicely and yeah if you're writing a miniseries I feel like you're doing more outlines and this is my first miniseries I've ever written I have no success as a writer in television but um I kind of just knowledge I know I've just kind of decided this is this is how I need to do to write this this these scripts it's going to be like an eight episode thing so eight scripts by me at least for the time being uh it's gonna be interesting so I have done outlines. I have, you know, just had it come to me as I'm going. And that's not to say what's on the page is perfect, but it just happens. I've also done straight up a vomit draft is what it's called, where you just, you have a plot and you have a, I don't know, you have, you have a plot, you have characters, you have all this, you have like an overall core message of the movie. And while you're writing it, it's just, it's literally that you're vomiting it out on the page. Some stuff might not even make sense. Some stuff might sound horrible. And that's kind of like the the first thing I explained. I guess I kind of vomit drafted a little bit, but I feel like with a vomit draft sometimes, like, while you're writing it, you're just going like, ah, I'll explain that later. I'll, do, I'll fix it in the rewrite. <laughs> it's like we'll fix it in post, but we'll fix it in the rewrite. Yeah, I, I do it that way. But there's another way that I do that I've heard from other other writers and just stories about other writers and they just kind of also write themselves into a corner. They they have the idea and they just go and they go till they get stuck. And it's a scary thing to do. It, it makes you want to give up, makes you want to think, oh, this screenplay sucks. To kind of sit around and just be stuck with something. You can't write it because you're nervous. You're going to send the movie just south and it's not going to work anymore. And then you get depressed and whatnot. And then it's just not a fun time at all but but some people can do that some people can write themselves into a corner I did do something years ago where I hit a point where I was like oh no I have no I have nowhere to go I have nowhere to take this plot line 
I, I don't know what to do. And that's actually what ended up being kind of motivational. I kind of started thinking, okay, here's where I'm at. Uh, what don't I need going forward? Which usually that means you might have to kill off some characters. Um, you might have to elevate some things a little bit. You might have to bring something that you didn't see maybe in the first act. Maybe bring it to fruition a little more in the second act as kind of some surprise or something or some twist. I don't know. But sometimes writing yourself into a corner actually helps you as a writer, helps you grow as a writer, helps you make you not fear the white page, the blank white page and writer's block. Um, I try to avoid writer's block when, I know this isn't a question, I'm just kind of answering it while I'm rambling, but when I feel that block coming on, I just stop and I actually just kind of start doodling on some, I have a stack of notebooks on my desk, I just kind of start doodling and you know, I'll write about my day or I'll write about, you know, something I felt recently, almost like it's like a diary entry. I don't necessarily have a diary, but I do have journals that I just flesh things out and work through. And it feels good to write something by hand. Sometimes the keyboard can be a little annoying. So to kind of work something with your hand is is actually really beneficial to me. And these are all things for me. I'm not saying this is how everybody should do it. So I guess to answer your question... Uh, I kind of just do it all. I go with the flow. I obviously plan. Uh, sometimes I'm planning in my head. Sometimes I'm planning on the page. Sometimes I'm planning on the page writing by hand. Sometimes I'm planning on the page while I write the script. I'm sorry if that's not great advice, but I don't know if it's advice. I think maybe, you know, you just want to, I know you're a screenwriter too. <laughs> so I thought maybe, I don't know. That That's just, that's just kind of me. Next up. Last question of the day. Carissa, also in New York, asks me, what is, who is your favorite female filmmaker? That's an easy one. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, hands down. She's got the uh, awards to back it up, but I just, you know, some people win awards, you never hear from them again. Uh, I know she hasn't made a movie in a few years now, but uh, Catherine Bigelow, I think, is a fucking powerhouse of a director. I think she, she's just, I think she has a flawless body of work. Um, even some of the stuff that maybe we forget she made. Because I, I think it was Hurt Locker in 2009, which, funny story, she won Best Picture over her ex-husband, uh, James Cameron, for Avatar. Which, I mean, that's, I don't think that's got to be awkward. I'm sure maybe low-key she enjoyed it, but... <laughs> But at the end of the, but like, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that kind of debate, but you know, her, her locker kind of maybe gave her massive credit as a, I think she just got like a lot of clout when it won best picture. And then she follows it up with zero dark 30, which is an amazing film about pretty the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And supposedly, that movie was about to maybe wrap up its production. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I have a book about the um, year in Hollywood of 2012, and I, I want I haven't read it, and I finished it like six, seven years ago, but I want to say, I guess that movie was about to wrap, and they hadn't found Bin Laden yet, but then that, that incident happened, and they had to like kind of rework things and add in that whole side of the movie 
which I think must have been wild because that movie came out a year and a half after they captured and killed Osama bin Laden. And I just think that must have been a wild production when that went down. And it the movie still comes off very smooth and very well made. And But those are, you know, her recent pictures that she's made. Well, maybe not super recent, but in the last 10 years. But a lot of her early stuff... I admire so fucking much, and I think they are just like iconic pieces of genre cinema. I'm talking about Blue Steel in 1989 with Jamie Lee Curtis, which I thought was, I have this memory of watching it uh, at like my grandfather's house when like they were babysitting me, and there ended up being like some violence and nudity, and they had to shut it off, but uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, she's a rookie cop, and she uh, kills a convenience store who, or excuse me, she kills a robber trying to rob a convenience store, and um, and then Ron Silver comes along, takes the dead man's gun, and there's no weapon at the crime scene now, so now Jamie Lee Curtis's character is like held accountable for killing an unarmed man, but meanwhile, Ron Silver's character like goes on a killing spree when it, with it, and then and then it turns into like a, she needs to clear her name, and they go after to try and catch the, this killer. It is a fun little uh, cop drama. Uh, not a lot of people know about it. it. I just I remember seeing it when it, Jamie Lee Curtis went on like a really good string of movies in the '80s and '90s. I thought, and then it kind of petered out for a while. But it, this is actually like a really good, like tough as nails, like crime drama. And I think she's just good at making really good drama in genre films. Another perfect example is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, which was made two years prior to Blue Steel, was Near Dark. This is just, I fucking worship the movie This Ground Walks On. Not that it really walks on anything, but, you know, the movie's 90 minutes. It gets its point across. It has a great setup within the first 10 minutes about, you know, some cowboy in a small, you know, western town or something who, like, meets up with this gal and they hook up and then she bites him and, you know, he turns into a vampire and um, she runs off with this crew of pretty much, you know, other vampires, and it's just a great piece of horror mixed in with great drama. Um, Bill Paxton is steals the movie, if you ask me. He's incredible in it. Strange Days is another great one from the 90s, and I, I didn't even know she made this, but I remember seeing it when I was a teenager. It was K-19, The Widowmaker, with Harrison Ford with a Russian accent, and uh, Liam Neeson's in it as well, but... Uh, and to top it all off, I think people forget that she directed this. Point Break, Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, in a phenomenal crime drama action film about bank robbers and surfing. <laughs> it's just such a beautiful movie and such a pinnacle film of 90s cinema. How can you not love Point Break? It's just so much fun. And, you know... I think sometimes people like, and I've heard this before, this isn't necessarily me speaking, but I've heard this before. People have seen her films and go, wait, a woman made that? And I go, yeah, dude, like she fucking kicks ass. And she's one of my favorite filmmakers to kind of come out of that era of the late 80s, early 90s. You know, she kind of comes out of that mold of your Robert Rodriguez's and Quentin Tarantino's. And she's kind of the lone girl of that uh, group. And she holds her fucking own and, yeah, she's one of my favorites to this day. I, I I study her films. She's she she knows what the fuck she's doing. 
Um, yeah, favorite female filmmaker, I think, is Catherine Bigelow. Put a stamp on it. So those are all the questions I'm going to answer. Like I said, it was kind of last minute, so I didn't get a lot of uh, questions in. But um, anyway, going back to the beginning of the show there, I will leave a link to that. Um, I will leave a link to youcanpreventcancer.org for the fundraiser I started for No Shave November. Uh, yes, you will be seeing some updates on my facial hair. <laughs> um, not that I haven't done that before on social media anyway. I've done a Facebook Live where I've shaved my beard after the Patriots lost the Super Bowl, but is the way it is. Um, yeah, there's just a lot, you know, if you want to make a donation, you can. If not, that's fine. But I'm kind of going to be doing some no Shave November themes throughout the show, throughout this month on the show. So... Till then, till next Monday when we will have a guest back on, um, I just want to say thank you all for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating, leave a review uh, wherever you listen to the show just so this thing doesn't vanish off into the internet. I've been saying it for like 43 episodes now. I'm going to say it again. Leave a rating, leave a review, and we will talk to you next time on The Basement. Take care. (laughs) 